It's been a while, but we're back to Perfect Blue, Complete Metamorphosis. Took a hiatus on this book, but we're back. Right now, I'm trying to pump up the books I started. So, we're getting, finishing this one. So, Perfect Blue, Complete Metamorphosis. Chapter 3, Search, Part 1. Ring! Ring! The sound of the phone on the other end came through the receiver. Each ring was another dagger in the man's chest. His emotions had been thrown into disarray. One moment, he worried what he would do if she answered. The next, he worried what he would do if she didn't. And back and forth again. A minute ago, he had intended not to call her. He didn't want to cause her any distress if he could all be all avoided, but he couldn't stop wondering if she had read his letter. And a blush tinged his dark complexion. He wanted to hear her voice, even if only for a fleeting moment. Ring! 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 The phone had sounded over 20 times now. He was positive she must be home. It was after midnight. Surely she was home by now. He possessed nearly complete knowledge of her schedule, gleaned from fan magazines and other sources. Her only appearances today had been as a guest on a radio show. If she was out having fun with someone, the very thoughts of another sharp pang through his chest. She would have left her answering machine on. Could it be? The man ran his bonny fingers back and forth through his long, unkempt hair. Could it be? She's pretending not to be home. No. The man told himself. She wouldn't do that to me. He thought me as manager. That ugly, bold, middle-aged bastard. Maybe she's assuming it's her manager calling. Think of how Mima must feel, having to dodge phone calls just to escape her manager. The man pitied her. He suspected the manager was a source of constant harassment. As the phone rang for the thirtieth time, a righteous indignation sprang to life. He wished he could go to her this very moment and comfort her. Just before the fortieth ring, the man finally gave up and placed the receiver back in its cradle. There's only even so much I could do by phone. I have to find her address. I need to meet her in person. Think of how badly he wanted to meet her. He hugged his arms around his chest. Waves of bittersweet emotion flooded him, almost tickling. The man had never been in love. He had no way of knowing what love felt like. But when he thought of her, his heart seemed to flutter, and he wondered if what he was feeling might be the same as love. Then, as had it happened every time that notion crossed his mind, a dark and blue emotion raised his head from somewhere deep inside him. It's not love, he told himself, flatly rejecting the idea. It's not love, it's not love. The corner of his lips trembled in disapproval. I exist to save her. I exist to prevent her from going down the wrong path. He looked at his life-size poster of Kirigal Mima he kept on his wall. Youthful and pure. She smiled back at him. I am here to protect that smile. He reminded himself, I must never forget that. That reminder finally allowed him to regain control of his nerves. But he seen inside himself and found a man who needed to be more composed. When he saw that man, a bottomless terror came over him. He trembled like a little girl who had seen a ghost. He didn't want to witness his own weakness. He wanted to be a strong man if only when it came to her. 
The man retrieved a videotape from the rows upon rows of cassettes that filled the shelving unit. The tape contained a recording of Kiriko Mima at the very beginning of her career. That's even were some lessons she took before her debut. The man inserted the tape into the VCR and switched on his 29-inch TV. With a dull electric hum, the screen came to life. Beside the TV stood more shelves, also stuffed full of tapes, and top a seamless, careless pile of things. In fact, tapes, tapes were everywhere in that modest six to tiny mat-sized room, and almost every one contained footage of idle singers. Only one space remained vacant amidst the mountains of cassettes, and that was where the man sat. Though the pile appeared disorganized, the man knew the exact location of each and every recording, eyes still locked in the screen, upon which a rookie Mima sang. The man reached automatically for another tape. This one contained his most recent recording of Mima. He put the tape into a second VCR and switched on a smaller TV adjacent to the larger one. On the small display appeared the Mima of today. On the larger one was Mima as she debuted. Kiko Mima was known for largely sticking to the same image through her career. Side by side, the changes were significant and unmistakable. The man clenched his teeth and fought back his surging emotion. To him, the best Mima was the one directly after her debut. He almost wished she had never become a pop idol, though he felt strangely thinking that way. The singer has survived childhood without losing her innocence. To submerge herself in the polluted waters of the entertainment industry could only be described as the devil's work. If she hadn't become an idol, she likely would have remained the same person forever. The man believed that would have been the happiest outcome, both for her and for himself. Then again, if she had never become an idol, he would never have known her. Filled with mixed emotions, he watched the current Mima, a much more mature woman than she had been upon her debut. Softly, he whispered, the words coming from deep within, I don't want you to change anymore. This most recent Mima had changed just about as much as he could tolerate. He didn't want to acknowledge it. He really didn't. But he couldn't avoid the truth. She carried an air of sexuality now. It wasn't yet so strong that he couldn't bear it. For now, he could endure it. But he couldn't let it get any stronger. He wanted to see his most precious person succumb to corruption. That's why he needed to save her. No matter who tried to stand in his way, he understood her better than anyone else. If he didn't rescue her, then who would? He was prepared to give his life, if that's what it took to save her. He just didn't know how it could be done. He had spent days thinking of nothing else. Time was running out. If he didn't act soon, she would become someone other than herself. The man reached for a plain paper bag on his desk. From inside the bag, he withdrew a long, skinny object wrapped in a piece of cloth. When his eyes rested upon the cloth, relief softened his expression. Slowly, he unwrapped it. The contents fell upwards onto the desk with a dull thud. It was a knife with a white grip and a long, gleaming blade. He gripped the weapon by the handle, and his mouth twisted into a smile. This was it. If all else failed, this was how he could save her. For that reason, he cherished the knife deeply. He patted the flat side of the blade against his cheek, and took pleasure in the sensation of cold metal against his skin. Part 2 She wondered if it was because she hadn't been getting enough sleep. Usually, she felt excited before recording a song. But instead, she felt blue. 
She's been in poor form lately. It was all that freak's doing. Not only had he called her, he's got a letter to her as well. Going far so far as to trespassing to the television studio, it was too much for her to forgive. At first, when Rimmy told her about the stalker's visit, Mima had been overcome by incredible terror, but now, the fear had turned to anger. Whoever this obsessive fan was, he was probably a bitter, pathetic excuse of a man. Someone who never went on dates, never played any sports, and just sat shut away in his room all alone. When she pictured him in her mind, the image filled her with bristling and irritation. Though the more unsavory type of fan had been more prevalent in the past these days, the men who followed idols were mostly pleasant sort. Fan or not, she wished the police, or anyone really, would crack down all those nasty ones like him. She couldn't even relax in her own bed anymore. How could she? When he could call in again at any moment, each time her phone rang, her heart froze for just the moment. Even worse, he might have tracked down her address by now. What if he came in person? She made a sour face, like she just stepped on a slug with her bare foot. Sniffling, Mima told Rumi, I've decided to tell Bon-chan. With her hair obviously gathered in the back, her face showed a little of if any makeup, though naturally still cute, but her outward appearance spoke of inner weariness. Rumi set a cup of coffee in front of the idol. The assistant nodded and said, teary-eyed, I was wrong for thinking to keep it to myself. I hope you can forgive me. It's fine, Rumi-chan. What's done is done. The person I can't forgive is that creep. Look at all the trouble he's caused up, that so-called darling Rose. Give me a break! When Mima debuted as an idol, she's been given the slightest offbeat English tagline, The Charming Rose. I've been where the man came up with his pen name. I'm going to talk to with Bon-chan, Mima said. We'll come up with a plan. I've told him about this guy before. Bon-chan thought he was merely some dreary, miserable fan that we should just leave him be. But now that this freak came into the studio, we can't ignore him anymore. Mima bowled one hand into a fist and punched the air. If he shows up right in front of me, I'll beat the living daylight out of him. Mima grinned devilishly, and Rumi, taken by the smile, found a small one of her own. The sight came as a relief to the idol, who hadn't seen her assistant smile since the night Rumi admitted to hiding a letter. Rumi said, Even with my own two hands and given what he has coming. That's the spirit, Mima said. You know he's bound to be a total wimp. If we stand up to him, he'll go running with his tail between his legs. Mima gave Tadakoro the letter to read, later in a small storage room at the rear of the recording studio, perched upon Fulton Chair, than what had happened at the television studio. Did you see his face? He asked, drawing one corner of his mouth and pushing air through his teeth. No, the light was coming in directly behind him. Tadakoro drowned the rest of his now tippet coffee and ran his hand through his thinning hair. He glanced at Mima, who gave him the sore smile that didn't really say anything. Tadakoro said, This guy must be a fan. I'll be a crazy one. He'll have shown himself at the concerts and events. Rumi-chan, are you sure you can't remember anything? Rumi shook her head sadly. I'm sorry, I just can't. Between the sunlight and how scared I was, I didn't see much of him at all. It happened so suddenly, Bon-chan. Mima interfered. No one could be expected to remember what he looked like. What we need to discuss is what we're going to do about him. 
Do you think it's the same man who's been calling you? Her manager asked. I'm almost certain of it. The man on the phone said he'd be come to see me, and the letter talked about having tracked down my phone number. Terracora spread open the now crumpled letter and read it again. He'd already read it many times since Mima had brought to him. Each time he did, he felt even more deeply disturbed than before. Almost to himself, he muttered, At first I was dismissed the calls as just work of some obsessive fan. But now he's come to the TV station and gone to lead to you, we can't wave this away as simple harassment. Give an exasperated shrug. Sounding less than confident, Rumi offered, Do you think we should notify the police? Takor hummed in serious thought. He wanted to tell the police, but at this moment, the stalker hadn't committed any crime. He hadn't made a direct threat or caused any harm. This wouldn't act just because this guy was being unpleasant, and if word the matter leaked to the public, the entertainment media would make a big joke out of Mima's expense. It could harm her image. Maybe I'm being selfish here, Tekora said, but from the agency's standpoint, I don't want this to become a police matter. We need to find this guy by our own means and set him straight. Mima understood where he was coming from. Thought she shouldn't let herself be so afraid of some troubling phone calls in a letter. But another part of her thought, Takor didn't understand how frightening the stalker was. Regardless, Takor said, patting her firmly on the back. We'll wait and see what he does next. In the meantime, worrying about it won't get us anywhere. Mima and Rumi looked at each other inside. The idol said, you're right. There's nothing we can do now but wait and see. Takoro stood, stretched his arms over his head. Mima, break break, and then we'll go over your new song. Forget about the creep and focus on the music. With a small wave, he rose and left them. Mima and Rumi stood immediately and followed Takoro out. As the three walked down the dim hallway, he muttered to no one in particular. <sighs> There's so many freaks and weirdos these days. Crazed fans, pedophiles. Speaking of which, they never found the guy who killed that girl. The one who cut the skin from her leg. Who the hell goes around cutting off people's skin anyway? Over his shoulder, Tekor tossed Mima a grin. Mima, be careful you don't get your skin cut off. For a moment, Mima found a jolt of pain as if she could feel the knife in her flesh. The magic gave a carefree chuckle and said, I'm kidding, Mima, it's just a joke. But Mima didn't laugh. It may have been a mending jest, but it was nasty all the same. And a little as she appreciated the joke, she hoped it would stay one. Part 3 The man's body shook and big, shoulder rocking waves. He sensed some great calamity was going to befall him, though he didn't know what it was, or when it would come, or what form it would take. An immense and shapeless dread had grown deep within his heart and to warn them that the thing he held dearest would be brought to ruin. But what did he hold dearest? Died for the answer. Was it love? Was it dream? Family? No, it wasn't any of those. Not a chance. His own life? Now that was something dear, but was it the dearest? He wasn't confident that it was. There had to be something more important than that. Suddenly, in his innermost thoughts, a word formed. Purity. At that moment, convulsion shot through his body. Purity. That which was unsullied, unspoiled. Yes! The man's inner voice cried out, That's it! To protect it, he would willing to give his life. 
Kyoko Miyo's presence as a symbol of purity was the reason a man was so inordinately drawn to her. A long time had passed since the idol singers were synonymous with purity. These days, they all sold their sex appeals as commodity. To the last, those women weren't idols. They were nothing more than prostitutes. He hated them. He scorned their use of sex. Females were always using their sex to lead men astray. A man of immoral integrity and made them into sexual slaves. As far as he was concerned, they were witches who cast misfortune upon the world. Except... The man's expression bright. Kiriko Mima is different. She was pure to the core of her being, from the top of her head to the tips of her toes. At least, that's what he believed. And he didn't want to lose her purity. Her purity was his own reason to go on living. Slowly, she began to see the form of a great calamity he feared. An uneasy spread within him. What if she were to change into something completely different? That would never happen, he told himself, banishing the thought. But even after his cast the thought away, his mind filled with indescribable fear. Tears filling his eyes, he entreated, Mima-san, I'm begging you, please don't change. Please don't change any more than you already have. He turned those teary eyes into small tables in front of him. On the tables was a magazine that had been the source of his anxiety. The front cover, a bright, solid red. Red from pure to sexy, Kirigamima to attempt a photo shoot. As he stared at those words, he started to believe the only course left for him was to take action. Part 4 Mimi didn't get back into her apartment until 2 in the morning. She made a guest on a late night radio talk show where she mostly discussed her upcoming song. Mima counted the single as her 17th commercial release, though the true number was at least 10, when 12 inch vinyl re variant releases were included. In any event, this was to be the seventh song intended for on air rotation. Her manager had a lot of writing on the song. He wanted nothing less than the top of the charts. In truth, it was a great song. It had a driving house music beast and pop essence to spare, and idol singer couldn't ask for anything more. Still, Mima had trouble believing she would make number one. Of her past songs, the highest charting had been about a year ago, a 12-inch remix version of Innocent Forever. That one might have reached a number five at best, the other had barely squeaked into the top ten. To aim for number one was a lofty aspiration. Bonchan is getting out of touch, Mima thought. A traditional type like me is already behind the times, and ours as a whole don't have much to pull as they used to. I wish he wouldn't let those expectations get too high. Tekor had winked at her and said he had surfire planned to get to number one. He hadn't understood what he meant. But now, she made the connection. She saw what he had in mind. Her new song was slated to release alongside her new photo book. The release of the risque volume would get people talking about the publicity would boost her CD sales. Mima exhaled a puff of air. If selling CDs were that easy, she wouldn't have worked so hard. She doubted any photo of her would convey much selling power. No matter how risky these pictures were, she wasn't about to appear in anything so extreme as Atlanta plastic wrap book or in any urban. The books in the back. 
So named because the legal nature of their uncensored pornographic images meant their purveyors kept them in the back rooms and under the counter. I'll be locked this chart at number 9, she thought, alongside a sense of guilt for not believing her manager. Of course, when the radio host asked her, she said, I'm taking this song all the way to number 1. You can count on it. To tell the truth, though, Mima's manager wasn't the only one who had a lot riding on this release. She did too. One fact was as clear as day. If she kept on following this same course of traditional idol, her success would slowly and inevitably dwindle. Her more popular peers were all searching for new trends, taking influences from rock, Eurobeat, and elsewhere. When Mima alone did remain stagnant, staying her course, she would face in an all too inconvenient outcome. Certainly, some said that Mima's traditional nature was her appeal. With broadening and diversifying ideas of what an idol could be, some fans appreciated Mima's unchanging stance, but those voices formed a minority opinion at best. Mima had long ago accepted that the way she had been, not even wanting to appear in a swimsuit, was going to have to change. Take the newcomer, Ochai Iri. From the time Iri made her debut, she had sold her sex appeal far more than her cuteness. Modern fans were looking for the woman in the idol. Mima could hear Iri's mocking voice. How long is she going to keep up the innocent girl act? If Mima was going to conquer that voice, she would have to make become a new person. As she read the score to her new song, she vowed to herself, I'm going to change. Part 5 It was not an old day for Takakura. Since the early morning, the manager had been practically frantic running between every TV and radio station he could, all to promote Mima and her upcoming song. If he didn't, the media would largely ignore an idol with such a demure and subdued image. After all, Mima wasn't going to get in the lover's quarrel or try cutting her wrists or anything like that. Still, this was her only career. She had no side job. For her sake, Takakura needed to do the legwork. He needed to maintain relationships with the broadcasters. The manager believed in Mima's talents as an artist, in her potential for success, but her nature was not conducive to self-promotion. As a result, her CD sales thus far hadn't done much to break away from the rest of the idol pack. Takakura had worked as her manager for many years now, and he yearned to give her number one song, no matter how tough her schedule became, she never uttered a single word in complaint. She was a good kid. She always showed genuine and consideration towards her manager and the agency staff. If it were in his power, Takura hoped to secure her a spot as the nation's top idol for at least the next several years. As evidenced by the recent telephone harassment, a significant number of her fans were the antisocial type, and Takura had always kept them in mind when he crafted Mima's image. But maybe he didn't need to do that anymore. Maybe he could be forgiven for betraying those fans, as long as he did that for Mima. At least, that was Tycora's read on his the situation as he worked out the plan for his new song. He hadn't told Mima about it yet, but he devised an accompanying costume for maximum impact. Despite how she presented herself, Mima possessed a rather glamorous and even voluptuous figure. As the charming rose, Mima had been concealing that sex appeal, but no longer. Takakura was planning to turn her sex appeal up 120%. He even thought of a few taglines for her, 
the neo-sexy, naked heart, dainty diva, and so on. All of them refuting Mima's innocent image. Just a costume in and of itself was a far cry from that image of purity. A white tank top blouse lay held in place by two mere suggestions of shoulder straps. The neckline dropped to emphasize the valley between her breasts, and a fabric would do little to restrict any bouncing that might occur when the singer danced. The white wrap around miniskirt left a little edge of dangling. Enough is already tilted TV viewers into wondering if it all might fall away. White knee-high socks, along with a large ribbon on the back of her head and the rear of her mirror skirt, emphasized Mira's cuteness, even while they brought a dissonant, kinky edge to the look. As Sarko looked at the sketch for the costume, he nodded in satisfaction. If Nima gives this look the okay, her song will be take number one for sure. Part 6 A tense mood hung over the Moon Kids Talent Agency meeting room where all hands Mima was being held for Kiriko Mima's new song. Mima herself was in attendance, and her nervousness colored her expression. Takora distributed copies of the costume sketch. When Mima was alive, she let out a startled laugh. The husky voice manager of the production department spoke first. That's pretty extreme, don't you think? Takora looked him in the eye and said, If we're going to change Mima's image, we shouldn't do it by half measures. It should be better to do it nothing at all than to make a minor change. The head of production had nothing to say against that. He nodded his head in silent agreement. Tycho continued, Until now, Mima had relied on her innocence. But someday soon, that path will reach an end and... I've been Mima's manager since her debut. I understand what untapped potential better than anyone. He glanced at Mima. I believe Mima can become much much bigger star. This song can take her to that next level. Even the title Sexy Valley might seem a bit aggressive, but I chose it for the very reason. As you can see, I went all out with the costume, and Mia's photo book will be released simultaneously with the song, sharing the same title. I've already took the TV network the direction we're talking Mira in, and I'm counting on everyone to hear to come on board. Takora's impassioned speech seemed to overpower everyone present. Even Mima felt moved in a way. His deep voice resonated. The head of production announced, I hear what you're saying, Bonchan, and I agree with you, but we still need to hear Mima's opinion. The man looked at Mima, kind of a bit sulky when she said, If that's the agency decision, I'll go along with it. She was glad to see Takora's enthusiasm, but... She didn't like the sound of changing who she was to fit into a sensual image. Besides, no matter how extreme a makeover, she doubted anyone would see her as sexy. On the other hand, a fire burned inside her, a deep desire to overtake Ochai Eerie. If we're going to do this, she said, I'd rather go with a bold plan than one that gives only halfway. It's time to leave the instant act behind and be a bombshell. Mima grinned and Takora made a happy, victorious fist pump. If that's what Mima says, Takora said, then this song is practically a hit already. She just made a tough decision and so I want everyone to put in their best efforts and not let her down. We're getting the number one spot, not number two or number three. Rabbit says he wrote a giant number one on the meeting board blackboard. For Mima, new image to succeed, we need to own the top charts. We have to let the world know this is no passing phase or fad. The manager looked to a young staffer. K 
Ken, how do you think Mima's fans will react? The man called Ken scrambled to his feet and produced a small stack of survey responses. Um, we sent out a survey to members of our fan club and received a large negative response. However, I want to emphasize that we only asked fan club members which are primarily her most passionate fans. Still, nearly all of them were against her taking this new, sexier direction. Member number 15, a male Yokohama wrote, I want her to stay the Charming Rose forever. While number 30, a male from Osaka said, Please don't betray us. And well, you get the gist of it. Ken distributed copies of the report to everyone present. Takor gave the report a glance and said, Of course, someone who's already her fan won't want her to change, but we have to own our thinking. I believe we can move on without fans like these. If they're so selfish that they force Mima to stay a child forever, we don't want them anyway. Takor looked at Mima. They could see it in each other's faces, both were thinking of the man on the phone. For a second, a chill ran down the idol's spine. The head of production sniffed in a gentle disapproval and said, Ban-chan, you shouldn't speak so harshly. We need her fans to come with us. We were looking to add them, not to replace them. I'm sorry, but I have to disagree, Tekor said. Fans like these aren't fans at all. True fans would want to see the idol grow. They ought to be willing to stomach a little image change if that's what it takes. I refuse to allow any so-called fans to hold her down or drag her back. Part 7 After the meeting finished, Mima Rumi went to a convenience store near the singer's apartment. In the casual clothes, Mima could have been a normal woman. No one would guess she was Kiriko Mima, the idol. If anything, Rumi was more likely to draw attention. Tomorrow, the first day of a photo shoot, isn't it? Her manager asked. Yeah, Mima said, Pick out a cup of instant soup. It's going to be tough, not like the easiest shoots I'm used to doing. Please be careful, I'm still worried about that creeper. I will be, but Bonchan seems to have some plan. I haven't gotten one of those horrible calls for a while now. Rumi smiled. I'm happy to hear that. The two purchased their cups of soup and bread, along with some sanitary items and stockings, and then head for Mima's apartment. The sea outside had begun to grow dark, and the faces of the occasional passerby were ill-defined in the dim light. It was a perfect hour for a secret rendezvous. With a small laugh, Mima said, This is a more eerie time of day. And Ruby bobbed her head in agreement. At that very moment, a man stepped out from the convenience store. He had been watching them shop inside. He started after the two women, as if in pursuit. Shoulders hunched over to make her his presence less noticeable. <laughs> his long hair tumbled across his face, and in the dusky shadows, he appeared as a ghost. The man's white t-shirt and blue jeans were unambiguous, but the design on his t-shirt was almost unusual. So garish, bright, it stood out in even the twilight. Sure, was that of an anime character, an adorable little girl whose face covered his entire back. Hunched over, the man followed Mima and Rumi. His hair flowed through the shadows that concealed his face, but his queerly glimmering eyes betrayed a tormented mind. He muttered to himself the words spoken, but unheard. Any longer. There's no more time. End of chapter 3